Well, once again, thank you for coming this evening and really excited for this time of a, a marriage conference to recognizing we all need reminders and encouragement through God's word, through Pastor Chris, who will be teaching us, and uh, just a little bit about Pastor Chris. Uh, him and his wife, Jean, have been married for 39 years, and they have, what, three grandkids? They're just coming back from Hawaii, actually arriving this morning at 1, 1 a.m., and he's on adrenaline here. Uh, but uh, just appreciate Pastor Chris. His influence personally has been significant the last two years. I've been part of the training center that uh, he's a teaching pastor at Faith Bible Church Marietta, and, and the training center there is equipping men uh, and the emphasis there has been such a profound effect personally, but we've got, I, I think of uh, Summit Bible Church, many of you are from Summit Bible Church, the pastor there, Morgan Maitland, is really his, Chris, Pastor Chris's disciple, uh, his Timothy, and, and the fruit of the labor of just in pouring and investing in men, and we've got three other guys from uh, Foothill who are spending the time uh, in investing and learning uh, just what it means to be trained in the Word of God. So really appreciate your investment. But look forward to Pastor Chris uh, leading us. Let me just open in a word of prayer. And we thank you, Father, for this great opportunity to hear from your Word what, it, what marriage means, what you hadn't planned and orchestrated. And when we think of how you did that through our own lives, you have been merciful and mighty and magnificent to save and set us apart for your purposes. So we ask that you would continue to teach us, cause us to be ones to not only found humble and teachable, but that we would exhort and encourage one another all the more as the days are drawing near. Use Pastor Chris mightily tonight and the, um, tomorrow. We look forward to this in Christ's name. Amen. That's great. Are you ready? Okay, sorry, I like to be close, uh, so you guys are in the splash zone, right? And I am Shamu in more ways than one, so there you go. But uh, I did want to bring, uh, if you would, volunteer someone that you want to embarrass, not yourself, but another couple. I need four couples really quick. It's, that's really embarrassing. I'm not going to ask them any questions, but could you uh, volunteer? Uh, otherwise, I'll pick you out. So any, anyone? You're going to vo volunteer someone else? Another couple going to volunteer someone else? Oh, are you serious? Okay, there's one. Okay. Can you guys come up? Just real quick, right here. People behind you, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Will you come, will you come, okay. And, oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you, you got it. Okay, can you come up too? It, it, honestly, it, it's, it's just gonna be brief. Come on, I need four couples, come on, come on. I'm sorry, you won't have to do anything, you don't have to say anything, seriously. So, all right, you guys, hold this sign up, hold this sign up, no, 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 she's with him. Okay, hold this sign up. All right, there you go. There's your sign. Hold that up, okay? So here you go. That's good. And there you go, okay? So, all right? So hold them up. Hold them up. Now, the, the wonderful thing is that sometimes the Spirit of God says, yep, that's right. Uh, but uh, that's actually probably not true. Uh, but every one of us here tonight kind of want to be in the terrific category. Uh, we want to be exactly what God wants us to be in our marriages. Would you agree with that? You want to be exactly the way he made you to be and lined you up to be and to uh, see that happen in your life, uh, there's going to have to be some movement. And maybe you're here and you're adequate, uh, and maybe you're here and, and there's some difficulty in your marriage, and, and maybe you're here and, and it's pretty terrible, okay? 
So, uh, not you guys, of course, not you. But uh, understand that in order to move from here to here to here to here, you're going to have to do something pretty radical. And in our day, it's actually extremely radical. And that is that you're going to have to hate everything you've been taught about marriage from the world, hate it, and you're going to have to love and say, I am, no matter how I feel, no matter what I've been, you know, in a sense, understood before, but if this is what God's Word says, that I'm going to stand without any compromise on God's Word in order to move this way. And here's the reason why. God is the one who made marriage. Now, our world is telling us that it's man's design. Our world is telling us in a variety of ways that it's really our idea. It is not our idea. Our Creator, from day one, designed marriage And he designed it a particular way and gave us his word to show us what that way is. But for that to happen, you have to say no to what the world says. You have to hate what the world says. And you have to say, I am going to take my stand on what God says in order to move in this direction. Are you with me? Can I hear an amen? Amen. So let's hear it for these folks. They did such a great job. And you are not terrible. And you are not difficult. You may be adequate. And I'm certain you're not terrific. Okay. So, yeah, I know. I did. That's good. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Every building needs a foundation. Every marriage needs a foundation. And the foundation for marriage is at the very beginning of marriage. And that would be in Genesis chapter 2. Now, Genesis 1, you know, you have six 24-hour day creation. And then Genesis chapter 2 is actually an expansion, an explanation of the sixth day. And in the midst of that sixth day explanation is when God created the first man and woman. And this is the original blueprint. This is the one. If you're a builder, you know what is, how important it is sometimes when it's been built upon, built upon, built upon, built upon. you got to get back. What was the original design of this thing so we can get this thing back to a stable place? Well, that's where we got to be. We got to get back to a stable place. So, we're going to go over some core issues tonight in a variety of ways. And, and this is a marriage conference. So, I'm hoping to speak a little bit more plainly, maybe a little more directly than I would on a Sunday morning, maybe even a little bit more specific. And so, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable, but I want to address some things that are found in marriage in a very specific way. And if your marriage is not built upon the foundation that is found in Genesis chapter 2, then when that storm hits, your relationship is going to crumble. It's what I just did with my grandkids, okay? I built a lot of sandcastles in the last week, and you all know what the wise man did, right? He built his house upon the, yeah, but the foolish man builds his house upon the, yeah, that's right, and it just washes away. One wave, that's all it takes. You need a firm foundation, And there are marriages today that are maybe even here that wear a smile, but underneath it's sour. And you want some improvement. You want some growth. Some are happy on the outside, but inside they're a little bit hollow. So we want to find out. And maybe you're, you know, here and you're just getting a touch up. Maybe this is new to you. Some of you, this is review. But like Peter said, and I love that passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he says, let me stir you up by way of reminder. One of the things that... I was taught on day one 
when my mentor actually married Jean and I, he said, never stop working on your marriage. So in some way, always be pursuing developing that relationship. Because out of that relationship becomes parenting, and out of that relationship comes all other relationships. You've got to get this one straight. And obviously, your vertical relationship is primary with the Lord himself, but that primary human relationship is the one that you should never stop working on. So number one in your outline, we're already there. You're tracking with me. I think you've got your binders open. Number one, marriage is a commitment designed by God for God. By God and for God. Now, marriage ceremonies, aren't they all pretty unique? And uh, it's been fun to watch the traditions change through the years. But the idea of marriage is not human in origin. Now, I'm not trying to be graphic here, but let me just explain to you that uh, we live in a world right now that is trying to change the nature of marriage in a very strong way. So now instead of one man, one woman married for life, Uh, and joined in this commitment that we'll explain in a minute, Uh, it's it's now can be one man and another man, and one woman and another woman. And now, soon, uh, they're actually working on this now in Harvard, on Harvard Law School, one man and and an animal. And it's one man and a robot, or one woman and a robot, or a toy, or whatever that is. Uh, it, It is absolutely bizarre where this is headed. And I'm not trying to be political, so we're not going to do that, okay? I'd love to talk to you privately about politics, but never here, all right? But I want you to be aware of the fact that things are changing, and they're changing rapidly. And yet God designed marriage between a man and a woman for life. Interesting enough, and God himself was present to witness the very first ceremony. He saw the need and organized very first wedding. It's kind of like a father giving away his daughter here. If you take a look at verse 22 of Genesis chapter 2, he's giving away his daughter. And at the end of verse 22, Moses tells us, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man, and he brought her to the man. Now this was God's idea. And Moses comments then in verse 24, a very significant phrase that we'll spend most of our time focusing on tonight and that for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, circle that word leave, circle that word cleave, and circle that word one flesh, because we're going to focus on those. Jesus Christ himself, our Lord, our Master, our Savior, quotes verse 24 in Matthew chapter 19 as the very words of God himself. And he says, and he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the very beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer what? Two, but they are what? One flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Make no mistake. God ordained marriage for His glory. For His glory. Marriage is more than legalizing sexual relationships or recognizing mating instincts or taking care of things economically. Marriage itself is a commitment, maybe you write this down, a vow that is consummated. It is a vow that is consummated. Now, don't be confused by the ceremony, uh, by the flowers, 
the gals, the guys, the music, the dresses, the reception, and the thousands and thousands of dollars that you spent. Don't be confused by that. Marriage is simply this, a vow before God and people and a consummation of that vow and his sexual intimacy. That's what it is. You could skip the entire ceremony and just have the vow. And then later on, the honeymoon, and you'd be married before God. You get it? Now, legally, before the state, we've got to fill out a document. But the issue that you don't mess with in the marriage ceremony is the vow. Because that's what it's all about. When you break that vow, you break the marriage. That's exactly what the Bible talks about in Malachi. It says they were not faithful to their vow. Their vow. That's what you want to get. We have people who actually lived a long time, been married for 60 years, and then one spouse goes home to be with the Lord. And one of the things that we cheer the other spouse with is, wow, what a celebration. You kept and you were faithful to your vow. You were faithful to your vow. Now, what does the Bible say can break a marriage? Well, the Bible talks about adultery, violates the consummation, desertion, over one's testimony specifically, violates the vow, but marriage is God's design from start to finish. It is. Marriage was God's plan, designed by God, and it is a, a, an institution that is for Him. For Him. Understand, Colossians 1.16 tells us all things are for Him. Does that include marriage, yes or no? Yes, it is. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31, you know it, do all to the glory of God. That includes marriage. That's to be done to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, your marriage is not for you. It's for Him. It's for Him, whether you feel like it or not. It's for Him. That's why you got married as a believer. Now, maybe you weren't believers when you got married, but now as a Christian man and a Christian woman, that relationship, that vow, that commitment is for him not for you and it has to be lived out in that manner for you to move from really difficult to terrific it's got to be done his way or it won't be done he's the one who made it and it's done for him so you are here at this marriage conference hopefully to improve your marriage but your marriage is not first for you it's not for your husband or for your wife marriage is for God and the goal of your marriage is to please God to glorify God not you if you can get that really straight in your head, it'll change your marriage. I'm not here to get from you. I'm here to glorify him in the way that I behave towards you. Are you getting it? Marriage is not about what you want. Marriage is not about what she wants or what he wants. Marriage is about what he wants. What he wants. And that's only going to happen if you love him first. The great commandment to love the Lord your God the Ephesians church was solid, and yet they lost their what? Their first love. Are you committed to your top priority? You're not two married people who are Christians. You are Christians who happen to be married. Married. So I love my wife, but I have to be careful because I could fall into the Abraham and Isaac syndrome, right? You love your son so much that God's going to say, okay, I want you to sacrifice your son. He's going to test your heart in that. And there's a little bit of that that I find in my own heart, that I love her so much that i got to be careful that do I really love the Lord more than her, right? Because that's what we're talking about here. If you love your spouse or son or daughter more than Christ, Luke 14 says you're not worthy of Christ. 
It says in Luke 14, if you don't hate your father, hate your mother, hate your wife, hate your spouse, hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. What's he saying there? Your love for me should surpass any other love. That's what he's saying. Or you cannot be my disciple. And that's not a super commitment. That's just a Christian. Because Luke's the one who penned that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So he's talking about believers there. So he's saying to you, look, this is the issue with Christian couples is that they're not pursuing their relationship with the Lord. They're not loving Him first. They're expecting things from their couple, when, uh, their spouse, when they should be saying, I need to make sure that I'm right with you. I make to be sure that I'm filled with your Spirit so that I have actually something to contribute to this thing in which to glorify God. That's part of the problem in Christian marriages. One of the biggest difficulties is basically marriage that we find at our church, um, obviously it's not here, but uh, at, at FBC and Marietta, you're going to find that marriages that are really, really finding a lot of difficulty, most often one of the either husband or wife is not saved. They're pretending to be saved, but they're really not born again. And therefore, it's just struggle after struggle after struggle because there's different expectations and there's no resource. There's no resource to turn anything around. Now, 1 John speaks to this issue. That's why I had those little lines there in your, uh, your outline. But it, uh, 1 John actually has five major tests that are found. It's actually a book that is written to help you to find out if you have true assurance of salvation. And the tests that he gives you in 1 John are doctrine, obedience, love, endurance, and spirit manifestation. Doctrine, obedience, love, endurance, and spirit manifestation. So there's got to be right doctrine. There's got to be a heart of obedience. There's got to be a sense of love. There's got to be an endurance factor. And there has to also be the manifestation of the Spirit through you in order for you to have assurance of salvation. Now, you could be secure in Christ, but for you to experience that security, assurance is what comes out of that, and that comes out of the direction of your life. Security is doctrine. Assurance is direction. And as soon as you start walking away from the Lord, disobeying Him, you're not going to have assurance until you begin to walk towards Him. Not perfectly, but progressively. It's the way it's manifested. So the question you've got to ask yourself, maybe before we even start this weekend together, is are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me give you some tests. Romans 6.17 says that if you are a born-again Christian, you have a heart that wants to obey. Do you want to obey? Do you want, now listen, you can fall down in sin, you can rebel before God, fall in flat on your face, but I guarantee you, if you're a Christian, you'll go, but I still want to obey. Now, we're not talking about perfection here, we're just talking about, in my heart of hearts, I want to obey Christ. That means follow his word. Not perfectly, but you want to, even when you fail to. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver from me? I, I'm blowing it here, but I want to obey. Is that true of you? How about are you, are you willing, Luke 14, to give up anything in order to please Christ? Are you willing to do whatever he asks you to do? Because the heart of a born-again Christian is a new heart, and that new heart is willing. That doesn't mean that you're going to go to Africa tomorrow or Uganda. It just means that I'm willing to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. I, I'm, I have a heart that's willing to respond to him. If that's not found in you, then you might want to be asking some really hard questions because the strain in marriage brings all of this to the surface. So you want to evaluate where your heart's at. Again, not perfectionism, but progress and direction. Are you truly God's child? Are you saved because God is 
to be glorified first, loved first, adored first for your marriage to work to move from terrible to terrific. It's got to be there. Is that true of you? Now, if Christ isn't first, then your life is going to be like, uh, can you put this down? Two ticks and no dog. Think about it. You're trying, to, you're trying to get something from each other all the time. But there's no dog. There's no resource. There's no blood. I know it's gross. But I can't help myself. Okay, so you're going after it, but there's nothing there. See, you have to have that other source in order to give, not just get. Are you, are you, are you with me on this? It was meant to be one in Christ means it's you, it's your spouse, and it's the Lord. And you have His resources in which to give out of that and to respond to one another, communicate to each other to make this thing work His way from terrible to terrific. That's what it works. But that's the blueprint, what He's laid out for you. You don't want to be like the Ephesians. They had good doctrine. They worked hard. They refuted error. They didn't love Christ first. In your marriage, it's got to be Christ first. And for some of you, that might be the root issue. It might be that you don't know Christ, or it could be that you're really not pursuing your relationship with Him. And listen, sanctification is a pursuit. It's I'm fleeing sin, and I'm pursuing righteousness. And you've got to go after it. And you need those resources. You need that dependency upon the Spirit of God. We'll talk about that tomorrow, about what that means and how that plays out in your life and how you can experience the Spirit of God through your life in order to actually enrich your marriage relationship. Okay, so we're getting there. But I wanted to kind of lay that out at the very beginning. So what makes up the original blueprint? Back to Genesis now. Number two in your outline, marriage is designed for a male and a female. I know this is shocking stuff for you. But jump back, if you would, to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. By saying, let us make man, Moses is really telling us the entire Godhead was involved in the process of creating male and female. And our image here makes people unique in that we give the world a picture of God. We are not God, but we are like God. He thinks, He makes decisions, He examines His own will, and so do we. We're creative, we use language, we're able to make moral choices, we can love, forgive, reason. You know, I used to have dogs all the way up until the last couple of years, and uh, none of them ever looked at me and went, I, I bark, therefore I am. They, they, never, they never had a, an awareness. They were just a dog, but we have that awareness. Um, this is big today, because when you read Ephesians 5, it talks about that your marriage is actually a witness. Your marriage is actually a testimony. One of the most powerful testimonies that you have is your marriage. Because when your marriage is functioning in all four cylinders and you're moving toward terrific, people notice. They notice. And they want to know what's driving that. And if you minimize what I'm about to say, you blow that off, you're going to miss one of the greatest treats of your entire life. Because you just start loving your wife. You start really loving your husband. You start functioning the way God designed. And you're going to find that people are going to go, what, what is it? 
What, what do you got? You know, you're at work and you're talking to the guys and they're all doing this and that and that and you talk about your, how much you love your wife. They're going to make fun of you, number one. Number two, when they have a marital issue, they're going to come to you. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. They will go immediately to you and you can tell them about Christ. Uh, you guys shop at Costco? Anybody shop at Costco? Okay, so my wife, we have a little game. Uh, when we go to Costco and if we buy anything and we walk out to the cashier and it's less than $100, we feel like we won, okay? <laughs> so we went in seriously for one product. We got in, we got this product, and we're laughing about, we won, we won, we won, you know? We're, we're not being silly or jumping around like charismatics, but we're just, we're just, <laughs> we're just, just enjoying each other and we're laughing and joking because we're like, we won, we won, we won. And it was one of those nights where there's hardly anybody there, which has never happened. And uh, I don't go there anymore because no free samples and, you know. <laughs> I mean, buck 50 for a, you know, great banquet deal. Um, and, uh, you know, dinner out, expensive for my wife. Um, we're walking up to the cashier. She's watching us for about 50 feet come up to the cashier. And we put the stuff down. This is about 20 years into our marriage. We put it down there. And she goes, newlyweds. We're like, no. No, we've been married for 20 years. And she's like. And we said, we talked about Christ as the source of our marriage. But she couldn't believe that somebody could be married for 20 years and actually enjoy one another. Seriously, she just had no concept of that at all. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about that picture of his image. And, and, and sometimes we have too sober an idea of who God is, though we need to have a sober and a fearful concept of who he is. There's also a joy in our Lord, right? And there's also a love in him. And we begin to manifest that. The world is very attracted. And we are to rule creation. So we stand between God above and animals below as the ruling representative on the planet. We take care of this place. Now, just a side note. I won't go into it. Your dog is not your child. Okay? Just no strollers for dogs here, please. Don't be doing that. That's an offense um, to everyone. <laughs> and people were made both male and female, to display God's character with equal brilliance. God said, let them rule. See that there? Them rule. Don't struggle here. Both male and female are human. Did you know that, guys and gals? They're both unique, and in their uniqueness, they're both designed to bear God's image. So we are to be one. Now, I want you to get this. This is really hard for some couples. When we are emulating His image, correct? Correct? So is God one or is God three? Answer, yes. Right? God is one in essence, manifested in three persons who are unique. Correct? So far you're not going to throw your Bible at me as a heretic? All right? So understand, when we're imitating His image, when we're displaying His character, we are to display oneness and we are to display uniqueness. So husbands are unique, Wives are unique, and yet they are also to be what? One. And if you go way too far on oneness, you kind of lose your uniqueness. If you emphasize too much of your uniqueness, you kind of violate oneness. You want to have both. And you'll never achieve nirvana in this life. You know, you'll never get it perfect, but you want to pursue both. A oneness and also a uniqueness. But there's never a confusion. Male, female, 
right? Like the Trinity, each different and yet one. And I'm a male, she's a female. There's no unisex here, there's no confusion. God never intended homosexuality. He never intended lesbianism. Men and women are made different in every way, but they are made for each other, male and female, a man and a woman. It's only the fall into sin in Genesis chapter three that actually messed this whole process up and resulted in manly women and effeminate men. Now, we're not going to talk about who can beat you at arm wrestling. You know, that's not an issue in marriage. Um, and we don't want to go down that road. But understand, from the beginning, it was not that way. The original blueprint, they're all different, and those differences are designed to complement. Your differences are designed to complement. She has strengths, you have strengths. They're designed to complement. We're not talking about submission here. We're not talking about headship here. We're just talking about the differences in your relationship. So affirm the differences between male and female. The differences are not just physical. God made the husband and wife to be a team, a team. He didn't design you to do the same things, like a, a doubles team in tennis. You know, you each take care of your side of the court, your assignment. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus said, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So healthy marriages complement each other like a pilot and a co-pilot. In order to fly that family plane, you, both roles are really necessary to make that thing work and to keep you airborne and safe. You're, you're like in an orchestra. You play different instruments, different notes even, and yet they harmonize together to make beautiful music, especially if the composer's John Williams. So, remember, she's not one of the boys, and he's not your girlfriend, right? They're different. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, when she makes a great meal, it's not right to grab her around the head and give her a big noogie, all right? All right? And gals, he's just really not going to understand fashion like you do, and I don't think you want him to. Okay, so understand its differences. And those differences, by the way, are to help one another and to do whatever's necessary to make the team successful. So, I mean, just some unique examples. I'm long-term. My elders make fun of me all the time. Morgan knows this. They, because they go, Chris, if this is, you know, I get worked up over certain things, and they're like, oh, so if we continue on this path in three or four years, this will become a problem. And I go, yeah, that's right. Because I live in the future. I don't live today. I'm not really right here right now. I'm here three years from now. <laughs> My wife is completely grounded in today. She knows how to spend the day off, what route we should go, what stores we go, and what order. She goes, I have a circle, okay? And I'm like, circle, whatever. You know, I'm thinking about whatever. You know, so I, I'm way out there, but somehow we've learned how to make that work where she's short-term and I'm long-term. So there are many times that I'm going, you know, what's the best usage of our time right now between these next four hours? I, I want to hear what she has to say because often it's, it's the best decision because she's short-term, right? And yet here I am working on the budget, working on all this kind of long-term plan, plans to make sure we get to where we need to go. And, and it works, we just figured out how to make it work. We understand our differences, and we try to work together as a team. So communicate enough so you can work as a team. You got, you got married to be friends. Be friends. Cultivate the friendship. Go deeper. First for Christ, and next for each other, and establish what you have in common, and work hard to get along over the distance. And sometimes what we have in counseling, and you know, many of you know this, uh, you know, he won't unball his socks, and that's a killer for me. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm just not going to unball them anymore because they stink. And, and, you know, and it just, it, it rolls like a snowball. It gets worse and worse and worse, you know. She won't close the door. Is she raising a barn? I mean, what's going on here? She leaves the, and then the flies come in, and of course then they bug you when you're sleeping, and then you get really mad. You know, 
that never happens, I know. Uh, he drives fast, she drives too slow. Or she drives too fast, and he drives slow. He drives five miles under the speed limit. Uh, you know, he wants, plain, what, what, this is right, right? You want plain tomato soup. You don't want it with horrible vegetables in it, right? You want plain. Come on, can I hear anybody? No amens? Okay, anyway. We embrace the differences. Some things you can change, other things you accept that you can't. Um, I have, you know, one of the greatest inventions that ever was invented in the human race was spell check. Because I don't know how to spell. My wife can spell anything. She can always, she can win at any word game. You know, when we got married, guess what games we don't play together? (laughs) We don't play word games. I was born with a backpack on, I'm on I mean, I was, really was. I, every vacation, every moment, I was in the high Sierras. And, and I married a woman who, who hates dirt. I mean, she hates it with a passion. I, didn't, I don't backpack anymore. It was okay. It, was okay. it didn't kill me. It just We figured out that we were going to do the things that we both liked together, which are a ton of things. So you say, oh, you gave up so much. You lost your identity. No, we have actually a massive list of things that we both love at the four level. You know, not the one level or two level or three level, but at the maximum four level that we both love. And we have never finished that list of the things that we both love. Are you tracking with me? There's so much that you can do together. Why do you keep focusing on what you can't do together? Figure out your differences and use them as a way in which to work together as a team. Sometimes giving up things, sometimes, you know, uh, compromising. I, I was always trying to get Gene out in the water. Uh, we are both beach people, massively beach people. We love the mountains too, but we, we love, when we go to the ocean, it literally is like Superman with the sun. We are recharged just phys- in creation. We just love the ocean. But I was always trying to get Gene to go out in the water with me. And then it, t- it only took me about 25 years to figure this out. <laughs> if I would buy her a wetsuit, she'd go out in the water with me. No kidding. She's now the grandma that is just the hot mama on the boogie board, right? (laughs) Because she has a wetsuit. I didn't need a wetsuit, but she needed a wetsuit. And it took that long for us to communicate. I know you guys are way far advanced than we are. It took us that long to figure it out, and now she's out there all the time. All the time with me, with the grandkids, etc., does that make sense? You figure out what you don't do, not do, not do, do, and you figure out how to make that work together. Work together. Okay, number three. I'm going to get really stuck on all these illustrations here. Marriage was planned to bring happiness, not misery. Happiness, not misery. Notice what Adam said when he first sees Eve for the first time in verse 23. Take a look at it. Verse 23, and the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, this is literally the first love song that has ever been written. It's poetry. It's the highest language possible to describe the amazing creature that woman is. Now, this poetry is why women, I think, are always suckers when it comes to musicians. Because the guy can be a total loser. He can be as ugly as Mick Jagger. Um, <laughs> And if he's a musician, some girl's going to be attracted to him because somehow poetry just connects. I don't know why, but it does. But right here at the very beginning, he, he makes this statement here, the phrase, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, became a favorite Old Testament saying to describe an intimate personal relationship. That's how it was used. It was poetic. And you have to believe that little, <laughs> there's actually a little letter there that you could literally translate it, wow, wow. 
he sees her and he goes, yep. You know, there, there was, you know, you know, there was the elephant too big, you know, draft too tall. You know, he's looking at all the other animals. Can't quite figure it out. Gorilla, uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> and then she showed up and he went, oh. And, and I, I know that pleased the Lord because he designed woman for him. And marriage doesn't mean that it's easy. Uh, it is work. Now, you know the difference between a, a spa and a gym, right? A spa is where you're pampered, and a gym is where you what? You work out. Uh, and marriage is a gym. It's not a spa. Everyday efforts help keep it running and, and, and build strong muscle. You've got to work at it. And great marriages need more than a conference. Uh, you've got to cultivate good habits. Ongoing, like I was telling you at the very beginning, work at your marriage. Commit to work at it. Don't let it dry up. Now, you, you might be a nice Christian guy. In the South, they call you a God-fearing man. <laughs> we don't need those. We need spiritual leaders. And spiritual leaders take God's word and they say, I'm going to apply this. And then next week, when we've all forgotten about it, I'm going to apply it again. And we're going to keep talking about this until it becomes a part of our lives. That's what we need. We don't need casual guys. Okay, in Hawaii, mahalo, baby. Okay, everybody hang loose. Nobody has an agenda. Nobody pushes anybody. That's not true in the Christian world. You're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And men, we need you to step up and we need you to say, look, we need to get after this. And then when you blow it and you fail or you forget, you go back to it and say, you know, we forgot that. Let's do that again. Let's try that again. Let's develop a new habit. At every stage of our marriage, uh, because I was hammered uh, with this in my life, and I have not done this perfectly, but at every stage of our existence, when we didn't have kids, then we had young children, then they were elementary, then they were junior high and high school, and then they got into college, and then they became, we became empty nesters. Every single stage, we've tried to develop new habits. New habits. Something new. There was always, okay, this is new. Okay, we'd look at each other, and we'd go, what do, what do we do? Let's do something new. So the last decision when they all moved out was every Tuesday, we go out to breakfast. We get out our calendars and we compare our lives together to make sure we're on the same page because we both live very busy lives and we just do that. We enjoy our time, we enjoy our fellowship, we talk about things, we talk about our marriage, we talk about our kids, we talk about our grandkids, we pray, we do, but we do it every Tuesday and it was something we'd never done before. Uh, when they were very young, there was couch time. Couch time was you come home, the kids have special toys, they go to a special room, they kill each other in that room. Well, we have 20 minutes of special toys that they only get during couch time, and then we catch up that day to make sure that we're communicating somehow, some way. We're always trying to develop something new, something new in our relationship, something fresh. Keep it fresh, keep it new, because everything changes, right? Situations change. You want to constantly be working at your marriage. But the New Testament calls this the grace of life, too. It's something really tremendous. And so the best there is. So number four in your marriage, uh, this is marriage must begin with leaving other relationships. Leaving other relationships. Uh, and by the way, tonight will be a little bit longer. Uh, tomorrow morning, the first session, second session will be a lot shorter than this one is, so hang with me. I just wanted to cut back on the Q&A time because I knew you were going to ask me a hard question. So there we go. Uh, in order to establish a new permanent relationship between a one man and one woman, you want to look at what Moses says in Genesis 2.24. Okay, so for this cause, a man shall what? Oh, say it with some conviction. Shall what? Leave, Leave his 
father and his mother. So everybody over here answered and everybody here didn't, so I'm not sure what that means. Uh, but marriage begins with leaving. Leaving all other relationships, the diminishing, diminishing of all other relationships. Marriage requires you to leave mom and dad. And certainly requires all lesser ties to be broken, changed, or left behind. Practically speaking, leaving means all activities are secondary to cultivating a true love relationship with a husband or a wife relationship must be. The priority for men is their wife over work. The priority for women is their husband over children. Ooh, did I step in someone's air hose, okay? Listen, if you can't prioritize your wife over your work, there's a big problem. And if you can't prioritize your husband over the kids, they'll never understand who God is. They'll never get it. You have to. They, they will go nuts when they realize that you love your husband more than them in the best possible way. In the best possible way, they'll go nuts. Our kids at certain times would become aware of a divorce situation in our church. Now, we, we never talked about it if it, was, it, it wasn't a public thing, but when it came a public thing and everybody knew about it because it was just, you know, an embarrassment to everyone kind of thing and it became something that everybody knew about, then we would talk about it. And so one time we asked Matthew, he's about eight or nine, we say, well, do you think this could ever happen to your mom and dad? I just, just asked him outright. And he goes, no! I'm like, whoa, 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 why not? Now, this is when Power Rangers were on, so you've got to understand Power Rangers, okay? He goes, because your marriage, your, your marriage, your marriage is too powerful! And we, we went, we took our rings and we put them together. <laughs> and went, da-da-da-da! And he goes, no, 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 that's not what I meant. We know what he meant. Our kids actually delighted when we went away. They delighted. You see, you got weird kids. You know, we were trying to raise boys. Now, girls sometimes can be different, but the boys, we wanted them to be independent. We dropped them off first time. Very first time we left them for an overnight. And uh, Matt started to cry. And Jean's wondering, she's about to kind of rescue the situation. I go, no, 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 no. And I look, and, and you know how guys, men, you know, sometimes you, you can read your kids, right? I go, no, 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 Matt, Matt, you get to stay. We're going. And he goes, oh, oh okay. Uh, he, he was crying not because we were leaving him there. He was crying because he thought we were going to take him with us. Because they knew that we, we just needed time as a couple. From day one, they knew that our marriage was the priority in our relationship. It didn't make them insecure. It made them super secure. Super secure. Because they knew that mom and dad loved each other and we also adored them. Does that make sense? They need to have that sense of confidence. And that means you've got to make sure that they're the priority, uh, th th that spouse is the priority. And the word leave there actually means to abandon, forsake, to sever a relationship before starting another one. In other words, marriage is to be a one-family relationship. As a single, you're a part of your parents' family, but when you marry, you start a new and distinct family. So to leave your father and mother means to sever all previous family relationships and place your trust and dependence in your mate. Now, this is the very reason why a wedding is a good idea. Because it represents the starting point and a termination point. A wedding. It's the gluing of a new relationship and the severing of the old relationship. That's what's happening there. 
And before marriage, you honor and obey your parents. After marriage, you honor your parents, but you obey God by making your husband or wife your primary relationship. That's what you do. You're you're only to look to your wife. You're only to look to your husband. God does not want you women hanging on to daddy. He does not want you men clinging to the mommy. Even if she cooks better, your mom cooked better than your wife. Or even if, you know, your dad had more wisdom than your husband. God wants you to cut the umbilical cord. Leave. You're you're not to be plugged in anymore to your parents. And some of you need to cut the cord. I mean, it is so serious that there are, you know, maybe even if there are strengths lacking in your spouse, you need to give up that former family bond. And we used to tell couples, look, if you're not ready to leave, don't get married. That's how important it is. And if you're unwilling to leave in your heart, then the framework of your marriage will be weak and the house will crumble. So it's so important, you may even have to move in order to establish a solar relationship. Unfortunately, many marriages are destroyed by parents, and some parents are ruining their children. I I went down to Mexico City, and I actually talked about leaving and cleaving, and uh, I created another Mexican revolution. Uh, viva Zapata! Uh, <laughs> because the couple's mom was ruling the roost, and the, the couples were living in their homes, and it was over and over and over, and it was destroying the couples, destroying them. Uh, Asian, same thing. It's a lot tougher than it is in, in, the, in white homes, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't even think that way, but culturally it was big deal in Asian homes, big deal in Hispanic homes. And parents, when you give them away, you let them go. You leave them alone. You get out of the way. You're even careful what advice you give. Husbands, you may have to tell parents to lovingly back off. Uh, I'll just give you one illustration. So Jean's mom is a non-believer. She's now gone, but she called up Jean and just ripped into her with every swear word that you could possibly think of. It was over something very stupid. And, uh, and she hung up, Jean's weeping, and I said, okay, that's it. This has happened multiple times. I called her back up. I said, Mom, we love you. I, you you got to know that I love you. But you need to hear me right now, right now. If you ever speak to my wife that way again, we will have no relationship with you, ever. She stopped doing it. Because the priority of that relationship, she has no right to do that to her. You understand that? I I told my oldest son one time, don't ever speak to my wife that way. She's my mother. I go, yeah, but she's my wife. You don't mess with that. You don't mess with that. Do you understand? That relationship cannot be compromised. It cannot. You got to be very clear on that. Don't let your parents, their will, you know, what they're going to leave you. Don't let their assets, don't let their gifts alter this. I mean, talk about living for the world and not for Christ. Don't do it. Uh, The picture, Genesis 2.24, is so strong, that verb to leave can even mean to amputate. You know, remember the ceremony? Remember the ceremony? The preacher's up there, and you know, you're walking down, the father's got you down there. He goes, who giveth this woman to be married to this man? And he says, her mother and I. A chop! 
right then, amputate. He did it. Now listen, and I tell the dads, if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to understand what you're saying there, then don't go forward in this marriage. Leave them alone. They want to come to you for advice, great. But you don't go entering into that relationship. Do not mess with a marriage. Um, Get the parents out of the way. Love them, honor them, but establish your own home, your own habits, your own priorities, your own affections. Stop going back. Stop relying on them. Figure out your own marriage. I love the father who got the call from his newly married daughter after their first fight with her husband. True story. In tears, she's going, Daddy, it was terrible. We yelled at each other. It was just awful. Daddy, I want to come home. And you know what he said? You are home and hung up the phone. Because <laughs> he understood that that's the relationship that he can't mess with. Number five, marriage requires an inseparable joining of a husband and a wife throughout their lifetime. Finish verse 24. It says, This shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Cleave means an unswerving loyalty, gluing. It literally means a gluing. It's close to welding, but it's really gluing, a continual love that will not let go no matter what. Uh, practically speaking, a husband and a wife commit to never say or never do anything that would drive a wedge between them. Um, say your peace to each other, but if somebody else is critical of your spouse, then take them to pieces. You know, it's, it's not merely you leave your former family relationship, you cleave to each other. It's in a new relationship. So cleave is to weld, to grip, to adhere. It's the glue that holds you together, inseparable. It literally means I'm stuck on you. Okay, I'm stuck on you and I'm happy to be stuck with you. You have my heart. Yes, that was Huey. Uh, I'd, I'd rather be with you than anybody else in the world. And, you know, you show it by giving the 10 most important words in every marriage, right? So you write these down. Ready? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. Those need to be heard all the time in marriage. Ready? One more time. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Just keep saying those same words over and over again. Really mean them from your heart. Don't keep lists. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Have you done that? Have you done that? Gene has given me permission to share this story. So we had a wishbanger, uh, uh, a, real, a real zoomer, uh, a fight. Okay, it was bad. It was an argument. It was bad. Now, we, not that physical. Just it was, man, it was really bad. So we're laying in bed, and, and just there's heat emanating over here. And I'm like, okay, I'm the spiritual leader. i got to do something. <sighs> so all that I can think of, this is very early on, is, you know, honey, I said, you know what, the Bible says that we just should not let the sun go down on our anger. Her response was, it's already down. (laughs) We got over it. Anyway, I remember what it was about. I just remember how funny that was uh, now. Uh, Share everything. You know, marriage is never meant to be my space and your space. My money, your money, my things, your things. That's very popular today. It's a mystery to me. Your dreams, my dreams. It's a gluing. Everything becomes new together. Uh, We're not to be like the couple who, when asked the secret of their great marriage, they said this, oh, a quiet dinner, a candlelight in a dark restaurant, and a slow walk home. I go on Tuesday, she goes on Thursday. that's, That's not what we're talking about here. It's not about I and me, it's about us and we. One of the things that would really serve you well is to never make decisions, never even have thinking 
that doesn't have your spouse in view. Because there's a oneness there that needs to be manifested. Uh, you should never, like, oh, I'm the leader, so we're going to go vacation. You know, and they got, they got three-year-old and a one-year-old and a two-year-old. We're going to go dirt bike riding. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, so the, just dirt and you're having fun on your motorcycle. So it just doesn't make sense that you wouldn't be one and thinking some of those things through. Uh, you know, whether you backpack or walk together or you have card games or word games, uh, bodyboarding or suntanning, camping or hoteling, rate, you know, the things that you love and, and make the ones that you all love at four, both of you, that make those your goals. Make those the things that you both do, that you enjoy doing. And, and make it mean more than three things. I guarantee you, if you keep going through every sport, every activity, every potentiality, you'll find some things that you enjoy doing together. So it's not my needs or your needs, but meeting each other's needs. It's not my time or your time, but our time. It's, it's that kind of thing. Find out those things that you both enjoy and go for it. Now, that doesn't mean that couples never need space uh, for one, from one another. They, they do need time alone with the Lord. Uh, that doesn't always have to be together. shouldn't always be together. Um, and some couples, there's one very social individual of one very private individual. Uh, you maybe have noticed that. Um, I think if... Uh, we had gone with my schedule when we first got married. Um, you know, Jean went nuts because I, I wanted people over every night. <laughs> so, and she's more private in that manner. And marriages need to honor those differences and those strengths, which we did. But unique differences should never be used as an excuse for you to not defer to each other or to excuse for failing to pursue those cleave kind of relationships. Again, if you're going to be best friends, you've got to have time together. And you're only going to spend time together by doing the things that you both enjoy. So you need that time. You've got to figure out what time are we going to spend together. How are we going to invest our lives in that manner? Uh, I believe that, you know, in, verse, uh, that, that, uh, in those cleave relationships, you're glued to each other, and it's less of you and more of us. And really, your identity becomes more blurred. I don't believe in this individualism. I think we're more of a corporate entity as a church, and even in our couples, we should be sense of a, a more of a oneness there. Number six in your outline, marriage means oneness in the fullest possible sense, including intimate physical union without shame. Verse 24, if you uh, amputate your relationship to your parents and you glue yourself to your spouse, then you'll become one flesh. And I think Adam and Eve could probably talk to each other uh, without words. I think in, before the fall, uh, they could communicate somehow. They were perfect. And since the fall, though, they've had to work at that. And like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and yet three, marriage is one, and yet three different persons, so it's you, your spouse, and Christ, and your sense of emulating him. If you're saying, Chris, where'd you get that from? Well, 1 Corinthians 11.3 talks about that. Obviously, it's about after the incarnation where the Son submits to the Father, etc. Et but there's an element that that's an imagery that we're supposed to be portraying to the world, manifesting him. And in the divine pattern, sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife becomes intimate physical knowledge. God created sex and a tender, intimate, personal knowledge with each other. It's more than just physical intimacy. So leaving and cleaving and knowing each other results in a new identity of two people becoming one. And one flesh does involve sexual intimacy, but it's much more than that. It's a complete oneness, a total completeness. A, you know, look at the failure of marriages that... Uh, have enjoyed plenty of physical intimacy, and you know that one flesh is more than physical intimacy, but it's a social, emotional, mental, spiritual, physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now, one flesh does involve a complete identification of one personality 
to another personality and commonality of interests, pursuits and purposes and personalities which is best expressed in the physical union. I mean, that's part of what intimacy is. It's the expression of love that can only be expressed that way. And so marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. It's a total commitment of the total person to another. But let's interpret the Bible correctly when we're looking at this verse, 224, in Genesis chapter 2, and that the Bible does say here that one flesh is mainly about sexual intimacy. In fact, every guy here who's here tonight is hoping that this conference will result in more intimacy. Um, And this is a marriage retreat, so let's get it on the table, and I know that's what men had in mind and uh, hopefully I can speak more frankly here than I could speak somewhere else or on a Sunday pulpit. So turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll come back to Genesis. No two creatures were, you know, uh, were more alike than Adam and Eve, and, uh, and he said that they would be one flesh, a unity. And if you read the Song of Solomon, you'll discover something about men and women. You'll discover that husbands need to be more romantic. And Solomon explains that and shows that with their wives. Husbands need to be more romantic with their wives. And wives need to be more often intimate with their husbands. That's Song of Solomon over and over and over again. There's no changing men from their desire. Can I hear an amen, men? Amen. Okay, thank you for that. How many of you wives would like your husbands to be more romantic? Can I see your hands? How many of you wives? Come on. Oh, oh you're not going to participate? Are you serious? Are you serious? How many of you wives would like your husbands to be more romantic? Can I see your hands? There, thank you. How many of you husbands (laughs) would like to have more intimacy with your wives? Can I see your hands? Okay, some honest men and a few very hesitant ones. I want to talk about stuff, but I don't want to get killed. All right, so. Women want more romance, and men need more intimacy. Sex is like food to men. They are in constant need. And uh, too many Christian men are starving, and they see food all around them, but they can only be satisfied by one cook. Are you getting my drift? Uh, But some men fail to tell their wives and start looking at menus. Uh, They're tempted by the morsels that are held up before them, like free samples at Costco. And wives need romance, and men need sex, and you just can't change that. You can't, typically. I mean, there are always exceptions, and you might be the slight exception, but typically that's true of every couple. It's so intense. Read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife. Let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. She gave it to him at marriage. Okay? When, when you became together as one, you said, this is my body, it's yours. And the husband does, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. It's, he, he gave it to her. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, you don't know this from reading it in English, but in the Greek language there, just now, in these four verses that I just read, you were commanded four times to take care of each other. Commanded by God through the Apostle Paul in his word. That means whenever a husband wants intimacy, you're to grant it. Whenever a wife wants intimacy, you're to grant that. Now, if a husband wants intimacy four times a week and a wife wants intimacy two times a week, that means you ought to be having sex six times a week unless they overlap, which some of you are going, thank the Lord. Okay, 
In other words, you need to be in bed more often to take care of each other. Now, some of you are glorifying God in here at this area, and some of you are disappointing God in this area. God expects you to take care of each other. Change is needed, and there's no way around this. You can't excuse yourself. You cannot find any other way out of this except to be disobedient. There is a reason, there is a reason Titus 2 tells the older godly women that they're needed to train the younger godly women to literally, the very first quality is to, it says, love your husband. That's a mistranslation. It's like your husband. It requires an older godly woman to train a younger godly woman to like her husband. What does that tell you about us guys? Huh? We're beasts, right? And they got to figure out how to like us. That's unbelievable. Man. Now, what I'm saying, and I want to put this in your back of your head for you yells. If you're battling here, ladies, and I haven't met very, very few that, that don't battle here, it's time for you to talk to an older godly woman because you need their wisdom on this issue because they figured it out. You know, 20 years in, 25 years in, they figured it out. You got to talk to them. You need to be one flesh in marriage. That's, I didn't make that up. He wrote it right here, right? Genesis 2.24, leave, cleave, and what? One flesh. I'm, I'm not giving you anything that isn't, the Bible doesn't talk about in marriage. It's God's plan. It's his design. Men, learn to be romantic. It don't, don't smell, guys. Clean up. Uh, don't be crude. Uh, you, you know, be giving, be loving. Now, let me be practical and use some common sense here. Wives, after taking care of four kids or five kids or six kids or some of you, 18 kids, um, and the house and a ton of chores, and then um, <clears throat> you're making a fantastic dinner and you've done all that and you're worn out, you've got nothing left for them. Let me make it simple. Let the house be dirtier. Uh, do a few less chores. Make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner. And then be intimate with your husband and you will have a happier marriage. You the reason, we're missing the priority here. There is no command for a spotless home. There's no command for all the chores being done. There's no command for fantastic meals, but there is a command repeatedly over and over and over to take care of each other physically. It's a command. And God knows what he's talking about. Most of the men I disciple and train feel that once the kids come, they're put on an intimacy starvation diet, and they don't complain because they want to keep the peace, and they're experiencing a massive struggle that only their mate can take care of. They can't go anywhere else and honor their marriage. And some couples actually plan to be intimate on certain days. So I've got a missionary friend. He is wonderful. He's dynamic. Uh, and every Sunday, after church, after they have lunch, they disappear. And when the kids were small, they go, oh, mommy and daddy are gone. And they got older, the kids are wising up. They know what's going on. And you know, it was okay. That was their time. Every week, Sunday afternoon, every time. They just took care of each other. Sometimes he'd be gone or whatever. So, you know, obviously it's not perf perfect performance. But understand that they were figuring out that they needed to do it. Others pick certain days of the week, right? I know one couple that said that every day that has a T in it, the husband said, yeah, Tuesday, Thursday, Tatterday, and Tunday. Okay, so. <laughs> Just trying to break the tension. Okay, so. 
And beyond the physical oneness, God's blueprint is that you'll be more than friends. So let me give you some strengthening here. So a foundational marriage is a testimony of the grace of God, right? You know from 1 Peter 3, 7, it calls marriage the grace of life. It points to salvation, the way we forgive each other, the way we function in oneness, the way that we demonstrate God's character. It's the grace of life. It puts grace on display, and it's also, some say, the best there is. It's, it's like the hot fudge on the Sunday. You know, marriage is supposed to be that way. And Genesis is teaching you to look to God for your solutions, not each other. That's what he's saying. It's, it's not about her. It's not about him. It's about God and doing things his way. And why does God give us trials in marriage? Well, he wants us to know him better. He wants us to depend on him more because the more we depend on him vertically, then we have this richness in which to share with our spouse. And, and those are deep waters sometimes, but it, it's strengthening that horizontal one flesh relationship. You cannot be right with God unless you're right with your spouse. Could you write that down? You cannot be right with your mate unless you're right with God. And, and, and understand, once you're right with Christ, then you can be right with your mate as you pursue this one flesh relationship. One flesh in marriage means a commitment to God, for only He can give you the power to attain this, which we'll talk about in our last session together. And when your faith moves from routine Christianity to a genuine relationship, then things begin to get rich. And I always know the most mature singles, and I always know the most mature couples. Not the ones who put on the face that everything's fine, but the ones who actually genuinely live out that relationship. It begins to filter into their parenting. Sometimes we've even said, and there's no statistic that we can you know, basically bank this on, but 80% of your parenting is your marriage. Once your marriage is where it's supposed to be, it'll filter down to your kids. It really will. And nothing will prove your walk with God like a, your relationship with your spouse. Few things will bring God greater glory than the amazing witness to the lost than a spirit-empowered, spirit-filled marriage. So let me wrap it up with this, and I know I've gone a little long, but it won't be this way tomorrow, trust me. Uh, number one, live by truth. Live by truth. It's been said that animals live by instinct, people follow their emotions, Christians follow God's truth. Do what the Bible says. Share these truths, and these are not ideas, these are not helpful hints, this is God's word. Now my practical application is application. But the truth, the principle here of leaving, cleaving one flesh are principles. And we're fully responsible for our sin, we're fully responsible for the way that we fail to live these out, for our actions, and so we need to get going and doing it. You say, I can't do this, and you would be absolutely correct. You can't. But God can through you. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. Christ lives through me. And the Bible says you can do these things. And so live by truth. Just, I mean, stop living by emotions. Stop living by your hurts, by your wounds. Stop it. You just have to make a choice. We don't live by emotions. We live by truth. And I know sometimes it's really hard. You know, we live in a very fearful time. And you want to live by truth. You don't want to be gauging yourself by what you think or feel you want to get, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your what? That's your own thinking. Don't do that. Trust in the truth. Now, I want to challenge you with some developing some marriage commitments. Number two in your outline, develop some marriage commitments. So these are basic stuff that come right out of the Scripture that you know. And I know you have marital commitments, but I want to at least help you identify them, clarify them, possibly give you a couple of more. These are not mine, but I've lived them. So first in your outline, commit to stay married no matter what. No matter what. Uh, you don't even mention the D word. 
That's never, never brought up in discussion. It's, it's done. It's over. It's, that's, that's not even an option. You're going to do whatever you need to do. You're going to get help from someone else. You're going to get counsel. You're going to pray, but you don't bring up the D word. That's just not. It's not, it's not in your vocabulary. Malachi 2.14, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and your wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion, and the wife by, that word covenant is vow. She's your wife by vow. Don't break your vow. God was a witness at your wedding. You promised him in front of witnesses. You agreed with God that you would not break that covenant till death do us part. Uh, I, I like Ruth Graham uh, as she was asked, you know, would she ever consider divorcing Billy? She said, divorce, never. Murder, yes. <laughs> divorce, never. I like that. Um, not that you would kill your husband, but uh, divorce is not an option. Murder maybe, but not divorce. So you made a vow, stick with it. Number two, secondly, uh, commit to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. Second Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Only those who grow remain fresh and only those who grow become intimate in the way that God designed, make time in the word and prayer separately or together. It doesn't really matter. Make time to serve um, serving, listen, the Christian life is meant to be expressed. It's never about, oh, fix my problems and then I'll, you know, whatever. It's like, no, you serve, and as you do, the Spirit of God works through you. Make time to read biographies of great men, great women, great marriages. Live the truth in ministry. Stop wasting time with TV. Uh, talk about the Scripture together all the time. Go over the sermons after Sunday. Discuss them. Take steps to apply them. Uh, teach in children's ministry. Go through the Word together. Number three, commit to preferring the other. Romans 12.10, give preference to one another in honor. That's not 50-50, that's 100%. Men, that means exercising leadership. Let biblical direction, set biblical... Listen, biblical leadership, it's, 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 <laughs> headship does mean that you're responsible. Okay, number one, write down responsible. Headship also means that you spiritual initiate. It doesn't mean that you tell your wife, follow me, do what I say. It means, let's do what Jesus says. Let's do what he says in the word. Your whole goal as a couple is to do what Jesus says. And men, you're responsible to make sure that you're doing what he says. That's what your responsibility is. It doesn't mean that wives aren't. It just means you must. If your finances are out of control, start paying the bills. Set direction. You say, I don't have time for that. Well, if you turn the TV off, you do. Uh, if you're working 16-hour days, maybe you don't. But for the most part, you can make that time. Don't be passive. Don't let your wife lead out of fear. Ladies, trust the Lord. Trust your husband. Submit. Come underneath him. Do that thing. Let him come up with a plan for your budget. Support him. If communication is wacky, then figure out ways you can talk better. Couch time, date night, whatever. Do those things. So those are just a few of the commitments. Are there more that you have? I think uh, the one would be commit to kids second. Fourth, commit to commit second. Uh, can I say this bluntly? Uh, in Genesis 2, before children, there was marriage. Let's make this pointed. You're heading for a divorce with your children. They're leaving. You both stay. <laughs> Do you understand? They're going away. 
Your commission, you, obviously you want them to be saturated in the Word and living under the authority of the Word of God and doing what God says. When you send them out, you desire that, but they're going. Your, your wife is not. Your, your husband is not. Your family, uh, you know, in totality is not a permanent union, but your marriage is. Children are temporary. Your marriage is lifelong. Now, it's not eternal, but it's lifelong. And because of fear, because of this culture, many women have cleaved to their children and not to their spouse. There must be conflict uh, with the kids and spouse. If there is, the spouse must win. Um, don't ever say, I'll always be there for you for your kids. Make sure mom and dad are respected always. Um, maybe, maybe could I say this, and maybe you'll hate me, and that's okay. Don't ever say family first. Say Jesus first. Say the Bible first. It's not about family. It's about Christ who made the family, right? Fifth, commit to the bride of Christ. Sports are out of control. Man, COVID did us one favor. Uh, convenience, choices, they're killing the church. And Christians are violating the commands to serve, to give, to sacrifice. They're worshiping their homes over God. They made their homes an idol, kids in sports an idol. Uh, why doing, you know, you should be serving Christ. Why can't you be out one night a week? I, I would talk to these families. I go, well, can you serve? Well, I, I can't do that. Well, i got to be home with the kids. I'm like, how many days? Six? Seven? I'm like, well, I think your kids need to see you serve. I think they need to see that you love Jesus more than them. I think they need to see that you would sacrifice for him. Not, not that you sacrifice them. I'm not saying that. But they need to see that sometimes they can sacrifice a little while you sacrifice for Christ because they'll understand that he's their deepest affection, that he's the one that you adore, not just them. You're, you're, they need to see that. They need to see that fleshed out. Sixth, commit to time together. Schedule intimacy if you need to. Do it. Schedule intimacy. Most of all, schedule a date night or something. So just to talk. And don't put all these rules on date night. If you want to talk about the kids, talk about the kids. Talk about the bookstore, whatever. Gene and I, we, would, we found another couple that had the kids that are the same age as our kids. And they had them all on Tuesday. We had them all on Thursday. And, and it was free, of course. Because <laughs> we couldn't do it any other way. And we always got that time together as a couple. Just whatever you got to do. Listen, marriage does not have to be a three-ring circus, right? You know what a three-ring circus is, right? It starts with the engagement ring. And then it's, next is the wedding ring, right? And then it ends up with the suffer ring. Okay, so it doesn't have to do that. It could actually be something that honors God. Will it be perfect, yes or no? No. Will it be without conflict? No. Uh, no one will hurt you deeper than your spouse, but no one will bring you greater joy than your spouse. No one will shape you to be more like Christ than your spouse. No one will point to Christ more than your spouse. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. Yeah, it's hard. But, you know, we're longing for heaven, right? And yet, until then, we want to we wanna see him be honored and glorified. You know, we're in a really, really special time. No politics. Very special time. And if your marriages fire up, your witness to this world is going to intensify a hundredfold if you would just live out the New Testament and Old Testament example of what God designed in that blueprint for marriage. 
you will blow people away. They need to see how much you can be one in Christ under His Word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for tonight. We pray, Father, that You would use Your Word in just a small way and these practical principles to bring Yourself glory. And again, it was just a simple look, simple observations of what You wrote in Genesis 2 through Moses. We pray, Father, that we might apply them and and it might be a basis of great discussion that we have with our spouses. And we'll give You all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I supposed to say, just go right into Q&A? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Go right in. Oh, go right in. Okay, this is terrific. Uh, Yeah. I went long, so I would only have to answer two questions. So, that's, it. that's okay. If it was me, we'd never get there. So, when communication breaks down and tempers flare, what are some practical things that couples can do? Wow. Well, I mean, there's probably just massive advice that could be found in the context of this room that would be far greater than what anything that I could say. I think sometimes that it's best to um, always pursue being in the Spirit. And if you're just so worked up that you can't be, then to terminate the discussion until you can be is better. So sometimes you need a cooling off period. It just depends on what's gone on and how, how far it's progressed. If it was just a simple misunderstanding, you could probably work it out right there. And a lot of times, Gene and I will say to each other, well, this was what, what you did made me feel. Uh, and it, and, and it, it's helpful to kind of know what she's thinking. And sometimes you're, you're trying to get to the heart of the issue. And so that can be helpful. But if it's escalated where there's, you're just you know tired and you fleshed out with some words and she did too and then you kind of want to kind of give it a a little bit of space and then come back together and try to talk calmly. Um, But uh, even as a church family, we we actually don't talk to people, and this has only happened once or twice, seriously, in the last 14 years, where they were like, (laughs) you know, gnashing and drooling and blood was spurting, and they were really mad, you know. And uh, we go, you know what, right now, we're not, we're not going to, nothing good ever happens when you talk to people in the flesh. Can I hear an amen to that? It's the flesh. It's the worst of us. So therefore, we need to sometimes wait until we can calm down and, and kind of have at least a little sense of remorse over what we've said and what we've done and that we want to restore that relationship. And so we then begin to talk about, well, what happened and how we got there. And as you work at it, you know, and part of it is that just couples are, Moving fast, life is kicking, you know, and, and we're running over each other. We don't intend to, and then all of a sudden words come out, and we've offended one another, and blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of times just if you can cool off and wait, that's, that's helpful. If, if, if you really can't come to a, a solution, then it's good to talk to someone. It's just good as a couple to go just talk to another couple, somebody that you trust. And, and the funny thing is, is that a healthy church... And healthy Christians are those who realize no one has to be perfect. 
Okay, so if you have to be perfect and righteous and all of a sudden then you, you've had an argument with your spouse that now you're, you know, ungodly, I'm like, no, you had an argument with your spouse. It's the ones who constantly argue with their spouse and never, you know, have any other offering except for that. That's ungodly. But someone who's walking that through, I mean, it's just part of being in life and communicating. And I don't know anybody, I know the most godly people that you can even mention. I, I know a lot about some famous people, and not just MacArthur, but the, the Sproul and some others. And, and they're very transparent about their marriages and their struggles and their arguments and disagreements. I mean, everybody's in the same plane here. Okay, some are a little bit farther along in the track, but we're all going to kind of battle with this. So sometimes it's like, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help us figure this out? One time it was really funny because I was talking to Jean about evaluating somebody on the basis of a preference. And she has two alcoholic parents, and so she was evaluating people on whether they drank or not. I don't want to bring this up, but for her, it was like, for me, it's like, it's not my choice to do that. But I don't evaluate people on the basis of whether they do or don't. I don't care. I, I'm the non-preference guy. That's just how I'm built. It does, if it's principle, I die for it. If it's preference, I got more things to worry about than your preferences. I don't care. Okay, but for Gene, two alcoholic parents, that was a big deal. And we're disagreeing, and it's kind of accelerating in her heart. And, you know, of course, it's, it's her that's at fault here, so that I got to share this story. So, um, <laughs> um, so she goes over to Connie, who lives next door, a Christian couple, and she's going, hey, how's it going? Oh, well, you know, Chris and I had a fight, an argument, you know, and, and Connie goes, um, what'd you argue over? And, and she explains about the, you know, whether the, these people are spiritual because they drank or whatever, and Connie went, <laughs> really? And she laughed, and that's all Jean needed to hear. She went, you're right, that's really stupid, isn't it? And she still has her preferences, but it's not like she's not going to evaluate people over that. But she, you know what I mean? It was just, a, just talking to somebody else, just, just getting it out on the open. Sometimes that's what's required if you can't come to that place. And then you start to train yourself, like we try to train ourselves. That comment made me feel this way, like I'm unappreciated, or you didn't care, or you blah, 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 or you, you know, whatever. So we're trying to explain what's the drive um, one time I told her, you know, we were kind of at an impasse, and I said, I think that you're enabling Matthew. And she says, I'm just trying to not be my mother. <laughs> and we looked at each other and went, oh, okay. And it was over because we both got to the heart of the issue, uh, immediate, which rarely happens that you get there that fast, right? But we both got there. We're like, oh, all right, no issue. <laughs> you know, and we just moved on. It's the funniest thing, but sometimes, you know, you got to work at communication is one thing. Two, sometimes you need to space it out. Three, if it's, if it's accelerated into a lot of heated things, then there's a lot of apologies that got to come, and, and I think a space to give it a little bit more sensitivity. There's a lot of other good answers to that question that I just gave you just three. Okay, I've got several questions here, so uh -huh. another, <laughs> how do I encourage my husband to stay faithful and committed to read? Well, um, uh, what I've seen um, in a lot of godly families is that the wife uh, actually prepares the, the, uh, the Bible and the, the, the little mini lesson or the, the little, you know, craft or whatever they're going to do, and she just gets it ready for her husband. I've seen that, when, 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 especially when the guy's struggling, or a lot of times men are, you know, by the time they get home, they're pretty beat up. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to guys, and sometimes... 
it, it's been such a rough day that you, you don't even have the, you know, the, <laughs> the capacity to work through, okay, when I come home, this is what I need to do. I used to have a, a field by my house that all the, all the junk and troubles and issues of the day, I, I would literally go, okay, that's going there, that's going there. Well, I'm burying it there, you know, so I could come home and actually go, okay, I need to be on target here. I need to be ready to go. I need to be watching for the kids, you know, and get the report. Sometimes Gene would say, you know, look for Matthew. He needs a spanking, but he's right on the edge, you know, and just, just look for that so you could deliver the goods and, you know, that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> so she'd alert me to what's happening and but uh, sometimes it was for Jean, like even like when we were preparing for different things, she, I would pick a book and, or go through it. And back in our day, I mean, you guys have so many resources now. Uh, we're just so envious. Really solid resources. We had uh, children plan, uh, uh, God's plan for children. Or so, it was just one book. There was one book that you could read with your kids that, that was like biblical. Uh, crazy days. So we would do that, and then my kids got a little older, and I, I rewrote, uh, not rewrote, but respoke uh, J.C. Ryle's uh, Thoughts for Young Men and stuff like that. You know, I'd just do different things, and then we would read sometimes um, uh, Chronicles of Narnia and make application, or we, our favorites were to find really fun biographies that were really full of adventure, that were true. So Zvi over in Israel and uh, some other missionary stories that were just really happening and that my kids loved that. We would just go through it. And we'd sometimes act stuff out. But, but when I was running dry, Gene would kind of go, hey, or you could do this. Or here, I'd give you this. And so there was a, we, it wasn't like, well, you, you gave this to me so that it doesn't count. It's like, what? It's like, we're doing this together, you know? And we need each other to make it work. There wasn't an issue. I was, you know, part of the thing that with male leadership is that if you're insecure, you're, you're going to bottom out. So you, you can't, you have to be just going, you know, I'm going to fail in this process, but I'm going to do my best. And so it's like, I'll take anything from anybody, you know, to, to, to do that. So I would, I would depend on her sometimes to help me with that. So you can help your husband by giving him resources or say, hey, you could read this chapter, or maybe we should find this little missionary biography and you could do this. And I used to do act out stories and make parable tales. I, I was trained under John, but I also had a mentor named Fred Barshaw, who was an un unbelievably godly man, and he, he talked about a being a parable, perspective. So everything in life became a message, you know, going down the shopping cart, and we would just, you know, stuff like that. And we had, always had to train our kids to be sensitive out in the world, but we always tried to give them lessons. You know, they, we'd be in the sh store, and some of the kids crying, and they would say it full voice, that kid needs a spanking, you know, and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, quiet. Um, so we had to teach them that stuff. And we, we taught, you know, and they went to, well, we did homeschool, private school, and public school. So we did all three. But when they were public school, we would always counter the curriculum that they got, which was nothing compared that it is today. I mean, it's 20 times worse, and I'm, I'm not minimizing that. But they would hear a lot of evolutionary thought. And we trained our kids. <laughs> this is really bad parenting on my part, okay? So I'm just admitting. Uh, we trained them that whenever they heard evolution, they would go <laughs> like that. <laughs> So we'd be out in a museum, you know, or at a national park, and the guy's going, oh, 60 million years ago, and no joke. <laughs> oh. Okay, so. <laughs> a lot <Okay>. of failure. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, this is a, 
interesting one for today. Uh, when my spouse and I have disagreements, oh, I, I, was, I actually there's another one. My husband wants to move out of state because of politics. And I want to stay in California because our family and good friends are here. I don't know if anybody can relate to this. Um, we continue to argue about it and it's causing animosity between us. How can we come to a biblical wow. conclusion? Ooh. Man. This is like putting me <laughs> on a stake and lighting it on fire. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 um, I never thought it would hit our church. And um, I think the last time we had, uh, we evaluated, you know, we've, we've had, uh, we, we were meeting and no one was meeting in our area and on our church group. And then we had an article written about us in the paper we thought we were going to lose. We don't have a facility. So I walked around your campus here and I have already dealt multiple times with envy and jealousy. So, and I told Art I hate him. Um, <laughs> But, but we're close. We're close to actually getting from back from the city and going to build on a piece of property, which if we can get in there before the world falls apart, that'll be great. Um, I, I really don't. I, I really have no answer to that. The reason is because um, my, my druther would be, you know, we need to be here. We need to be with our people. We, we don't want to just bounce to another place. I, I can guarantee you this that you will not find another church like this. I don't, I don't think you'll never, I, I just don't. I, people that leave our church, they're like, oh, we don't, what, I, there, there's just no other church like this. I go, yeah, I know, they're pretty rare. So you're not going to find another church like this. It's not about the friends. It's about a church that's committed to the scripture, to doctrine, to relationship, to discipleship, to corporate body. Uh, they're so rare. That, that they're not hung up on politics and, and all kinds of things. So that my first charge would be you're, you're crazy to be so loose with, oh, we'll just go to another state. Like there's going to be another church like this church there. <laughs> I, I, seriously, we've had people move away and come back because it's like, uh, you know what? It's more important that my family be in this kind of environment even though politically it's, it's declining massively and it's evil, okay? At the same time, uh, I, I would also say that you can go to other places and you will not have the same oppression that we experience in our particular state, which I think will get worse. Even if we get a reprieve, it'll get worse. And um, I think we're you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty eschatological when it comes to I, God's been judging us and we're at the bottom rung of Romans 1. I don't think there's much more to go except for eschatological judgment, but that's just me. Uh, we've never really been in that place before. Um, but I can tell you that you may find some political relief, but people are people and the decline is not going to be stopped. So you may be delaying it, but you're not going to stop it. Um, and, and it may be because of your kids that you're like, I just want them to be where they're not having to hear this and hear this and hear this and go through this. And that's where I could like, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta tr I gotta trust the Lord, that the Lord may be moving you so that you could be an influence at another church, but I guarantee you, you don't really influence a church from the pew. 
Um, you, 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 you'll, you'll make minor changes in, the, in people's lives, but you won't be able to change the nature of that church from the pew. And I don't mean that to be demeaning at all. I just mean that that's the way it's structured. The leadership all have to change in order for to the church to be what it's supposed to be, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm against people leaving, but I understand when they leave, and I understand that desire to be in another place. I, you know, Tennessee, it's hot. <laughs> Texas, sagebrush, <laughs> cows. It's its own country anyway. <laughs> Idaho, it's cold. <laughs> I live there. I live right in Spokane, right next to it. Um, yeah, there's, there's places you can go, but it's eventually you're going to find yourself going, well, people are people, you know, and so therefore I want to go where there's a community that is actually under the God's word, uh, uh, under God authority. And, and really what I'm describing to you as a church, and maybe you're not the same way as my church, but we take the Lord and his word really serious. And we don't take ourselves seriously at all. We enjoy each other. We love each other. We know that we're in process. We know that we're growing. We haven't arrived. We know all that. But we take him really serious. We want to take ourselves seriously. And you know, finding a church like that is pretty rare. And it's not because of me. I'm not taking credit for this. I'm just saying I, I get to be with those people. It's amazing. Um, so I don't know. I, that, that's a tough one for me because I, I really struggled with that question because my first response was not good. It's like, you're going, you're, you know. <laughs> You're Catholic, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, our, 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 about four weeks ago, we had an elder meeting and, and there was 10 families. And seven of them were fringe and three of them were people that I knew really well. And I thought, oh man. And it's been, but we've had 40 families join us since COVID because we're meeting and we had to exercise church discipline. More people came. You know, it's like, well, if that's what you're going to do and you're going to follow the scripture, we're coming. And I'm like, well, okay, great. Love you. It's crazy. You know, everything that we think we're doing, you know, that's going to scare people away makes them want to come. And then they get to know the people and they're like, well, why would I want to go anywhere else? You know, so it's, it's a unique situation. But I, just be careful to trade your church um, superficially. You, you can't just visit a church in another state and go, yeah, this will be good. You don't really know. It's, like, it's kind of like we're going to get married after we've met each other after one Sunday. It, it, does, it doesn't work that way. You really have to know someone and know that church before you could actually go there. So that, that just, a, just an encouragement, a pastoral encouragement. I'm not trying to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. I, I, just, I just know that it's, moving is costly. Moving is stressful. It's you know, way up there in the stress meter thing. And then if you're going to a place where there's a spiritual vacuum, well, so what if the politics are right? So just be careful that you would trade the most important for the secondary. You know, this world is not our home. Our kingdom is far greater. Jesus is in charge, right? You know that. He, he does appoint leaders. Oh, I know this will hurt you, but he appointed Gavin Newsom. <laughs> he did. So if you're really angry about that... <laughs> I've and he directs them like the channels of water. So I'm looking at this going, man, we're in a very funny place. In the next two months and three months, we're going to see things we've never seen before. 
And uh, I just want to be faithful. I want to be representing the king who is over all kingdoms, and they are a drop in the bucket compared to him. And I have no doubt that he's in charge. And I, know, I don't like what I see. I don't like it. But I also see the darker it is, the brighter the gospel shines. It's like putting a Amen. diamond on velvet. All of a sudden, it's super bright. Right? So I just want to be that guy. But again, if the Lord's leading you, and you've got a plan, and there's a body, and you know that it's strong, and it's good, I don't know. You, you really you need to make sure you pray. But I, I wouldn't, as a couple, divide over that. I would ask for humble hearts on both husband and wife to say, we want what you want, Lord. And, um, and until we can come to that place, Gene and I, we've actually made it a policy that if we, on certain big decisions like that, if we can't really be one heart, one mind, we don't go. You say, well, you're not much of a leader. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I trust her. I, she knows Christ. She's filled with the Spirit. If we can't come to some sort of union over this, I don't want to do it. And so there's been times I've waited for her to catch up and then lead, you know, but Anyway, that's enough. That's a, that's a tough one. That's so hard. Great question. Keep sending great questions, uh, and, uh, but I've got two more here that I want to highlight here. When my spouse and I have disagreements, he shuts down and refuses to talk about the issue. His parents used to fight terribly and, and divorced, so he thinks any disagreement we have will escalate and end up with us hating each other. Is there a way we can discuss our problems so I don't feel pushed aside? Probably the best thing would be to be with another couple or a counselor. And it's not wrong to be, I, I mean, I, I, I minister with guys. We, we have a team process and team concept at our church. So if, if I really struggled with something with Gene, I'm not seeing something right, I, I'd take to Plesnick or I'd talk to Nigel and I'd go, hey, what do you guys think? You know, and, and I would say, hey, is this me? How do I, how should I respond to this? I would, I would get help. I would ask other men. Um, we need the influence of other men in our lives to be the husbands we're supposed to be, and women need the influence of women. It's a man-to-man, woman-to-woman thing, and, and we don't realize that 1 Peter 5, the young men submit to the older men, and, and Titus 2, the older women are training the younger women. We need that input, and if you're like, well, we're too, just too, too private, I'm like, well, you don't understand the body because the body is one-anothering, we're gifting, we're u- different. We see things differently, and to me, it's always, it's always good to seek that help. Now, obviously, prayer and then the Word, but it's, you know, and there's plenty of criteria in the Word about how we communicate to each other. Just read the Proverbs. There's tons of it. And then, you know, and obviously, <laughs> even a fool, if he remains silent, is considered wise, and you're like, oh, it's my life verse, you know? Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, probably not for your wife, you know. <laughs> she needs to hear you work through some things and struggle and, and trip and fail and go through it. And obviously, if you're more mature than your husband spiritually in whatever situation, then you don't want to be, you know, well, you know kind of laying out all that kind of stuff. You want to be patient. You want to wait and trust. But you also want to direct each other. Um, there have been times that I said to Jean, you need to talk to, you know, an older godly woman. You've got to because this... I, I don't know how to help you with this to understand this particular issue. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm talking to other guys, and, and, you know, constantly. I would be more verbal that way and more open and more transparent where Jean would have a little bit more privacy because she's been in, in very difficult family relationships, very uh, abusive verbally, very tough. 
And so it was always harder for her to be more transparent. But she did. She would go and talk to godly women who would help her work that stuff through. So I would say to guy and gal, you should have people that you can go to. Even, you know, you've got great people here. You've got Micah back there. You've got Art. You've got other godly men here, elders here. Just talk to them. They're not going to look at you going, oh, you're not godly. You know, they're not going to do that. They're going to go, man, praise God you're asking. Praise God that you want to grow. Man, that's awesome. That's what we want. We don't want, we want, we don't, and nobody's expecting perfection. We just want to grow and become more like Christ, right? The goal is come to Christ or become like Christ. That's it. That's how, that's how we bring him glory. So anybody who's saying, I, I just want to be more like him, I'm like, let's go. You know, great. Let's, let's have at it. Um, and multiple times in my own life, there's been, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And I've talked to other men and it's given me direction. And I've had people older than me, which is getting harder and harder to find. Um, and seriously, uh, you know, one was MacArthur, one was the Millers up in Oregon, and a family that we knew that were a part of our church, but super godly, super faithful, incredibly on-fire marriage, went on a honeymoon every year of their life, went on a date night without fail every week of their life. They both died in their mid-80s. And they love the Lord. And we would say, what about this? What about this? And they would just be very free in helping us to kind of figure stuff out. So I would just say, look, look for help in those kind of situations where you're at an impasse and you're trying to solve it or he's freezing up just going, honey, I'm going to pray. Or you just pray. Pray that he would find a man that he could talk to, you know, and, and go from there. I want to have children way sooner, but my husband wants to wait. How do I respect them in that and continue to be patient in a Christ-like way? <sighs> okay. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, obviously you, I think if you pray and you trust the Lord and you share your heart when, when the appropriate time is. We'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow, is when, when the timing is, when you can share these things at an appropriate time. Sometimes we, we fire off little comments in the midst of life, and it's the most inappropriate moment to say that. And so timing, building, and just with genuine sincerity in your part, just saying, I, I really want to have kids, and I don't want to wait till we're, you know, 30 or... 40 or you know whatever um and uh but just to to express your heart maybe maybe even sometimes write it out so that it's better heard as you articulate that or you treasure that in your heart and you make it an issue of prayer and expect god to change his heart um there's something very powerful about women praying and uh and I think that Sarah demonstrated that by submitting, calling him Lord with a little L, and, um, and just uh, waiting and trusting. I mean, you know, he, he passed her off as a sister twice, lied about her, and yet she still submitted to him. And I, I think there's an element of just waiting and watching and trusting. But sometimes it, it, it may be that he doesn't really understand the depth of your heart and you haven't articulated it clearly and so it could be that you maybe write it out or you wait for an appropriate moment and just, can I share my heart with you? And then, and then trust. Trust that God would use his word and use your words and that situation to, to actually change his heart. Um, 
There's something incredibly um, satisfying and victorious when you know you've prayed about it, you've shared your heart, and then God changes the situation. There's just something so sweet about that. When you look back, you're going, it was like God did this. God did this. And you want to you wanna trust him for that and not try to say, I've got to have my will, but I want his will, right? Even if it's the something that I want more than anything. I'm sure there are more questions. Uh, I just want to also assure you that when you send them, we're not looking at, who, oh, who's this from? You know, uh, This is anonymous as we receive the text. So again, think about it. Pray about it tonight. Send them away. Well, we know who the political guy was. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But um, I know that one question that was similar was the, what is the best thing to do when a couple hits a serious snag in their marriage? And you, you address that to some degree. And I know tomorrow in dealing with conflict, you're going to be addressing more on that issue. So we look forward to that. We'll begin tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And uh, look forward to your attendance. We're going to wrap up here. And uh, thank you, Chris, for just... Uh, uh, imparting wisdom and really opening the word to us. I'm going to close here in a word of prayer, okay? Our gracious God and Father, it, it is true that you're the one who designed marriage. You designed the spouse that you provided for us. It was not good, not only for man to be alone, but for the woman to have a leader in her home, her husband, and Father, we just thank you for the way you orchestrate these things and preserve us. You've given us the means through your word and by your spirit and through the local church. Lord, we ask that you continue to help us to treasure these gifts, these good gifts you give to us. And we thank you for our time tonight. I do ask, Father, that you would help all of us as couples to meditate, to process, to communicate, even to confess if necessary. And we just give you the thanks for this time together and for tomorrow. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.